Well, there is a poster in the choir room of my church that I happened to see. I'm not in the choir by any means, but as I was passing through the choir room, I saw that poster, and it says this, You are not ready to live until you know what you want written on your tombstone. Now, that sounds kind of morbid, but, you know, when you get to be my age, you start thinking about things like that. It's interesting that two such inscriptions that I would like to be possible for my family to inscribe on my tombstone. I'm not saying that they have to because I know that every letter you have to pay for, right? So they can just put Catherine Caldwell in the dates. <laughs> Make sure they don't forget that little dash. That dash represents my whole life. But... What I would like for them to, to possibly, if they have the money, <laughs> to inscribe on my tombstone are both words, it's amazing, both of them are words of commendation spoken by Jesus about one of the two sisters we're going to be looking at this morning, Mary of Bethany. Now, one of those phrases is found in the text for today's lesson, and it is actually where I got the name for this lesson. What is the name for this lesson? Choosing that good part. In defense of Mary, regarding a complaint about her from her sister Martha, Jesus said to Martha, Mary hath chosen that good part. That's in Luke 10:42. Wouldn't you love that to be said of you? Wouldn't that be a great epitaph for your tombstone that your family would be able to say, Catherine hath chosen that good part that shall never be taken from her. But far, you know, even more importantly than my family being able to say that about me, wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord could say that about you and I? that we had chosen that good part. You see, that good part is the spiritual treasure part, the vertical relationship part that God said can never be taken away from us. The other phrase that I thought would be a good epitaph to be written on all of our tombstones was also spoken by Jesus in defense of Mary of Bethany. After Mary had anointed the Lord with some of her, well, with her expensive spikenard perfume, and Judas Iscariot complained about the waste and even stirred up some of the other disciples about the waste of something that cost almost an entire year's wages, 300 pence for her perfume. Remember last time how the good Samaritan gave the innkeeper two pence? That was two days' wages. You know how many 300 pence is? But 300 pence would be almost a year's wages. That's how much her perfume cost. Well, and of course, Judas Iscariot being a money-minded person, was upset about the waste, and he got the other disciples stirred up, stirred up about the waste, and Jesus spoke up in Mary's defense and said this. He said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Now, that's not the epitaph I was thinking about, but that would be another good one, wouldn't it? Your name, your dates, she hath wrought a good work on me. That would be a good one. But here's the one I was really thinking about. It, he went on to say, she hath done what she could. She hath done what she could. I like that. Do you remember Dr. Lehman Strauss? 
uh, famous Bible commentator who actually spoke here at our Bible study. Believe it or not, when he spoke at our Bible study over at Grace Chapel, he gave a lesson on Martha and Mary. And on his wife's tombstone, he had those words placed, that she hath done what she could. That's great. You know, with what I gave her, what the Lord is saying, with what I gave her, she did what she could. She did all that she could with what I gave her. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like those epitaphs to be able to be written on your um, tombstone? You know, that would be a whole lot better <laughs> than what Jesus spoke to Mary's sister Martha in our lesson today. Now, I don't think I'd want this one on my tombstone. Here lies Catherine Caldwell. She was anxious and troubled about many things. <laughs> now... <laughs> That might be what my family's tempted to put on my tombstone. (laughs) But I hope that isn't what winds up being there. Not that it matters. I won't be there. I'll be with the Lord. But anyhow. So anyway, if you agree with me about this, then perhaps we can learn together this morning some important practical principles and tips on how we can be more like which sister? We want to be more like Mary. Now, actually, in the comparative character clip of the two famous New Testament sisters, Martha and Mary, we should really be a balance of both of them. We should be, like Martha, working servants for the Lord, hospitable, generous, neighborly, as exemplified by Martha, but we should also be worshiping students of the Lord as Mary was. Now, the sequence of the three scenes that we have in Luke chapter 10 is interesting in yet another way, other than what I've already told you about, you know, that it illustrates the threefold ministry of believers, Um, you know, that we're to be ambassadors out on the, in the harvest field, that we're to be imitators of Christ in our neighborliness while we're out in the highways of life, and um, that we're to be worshipers of Christ in the home. Other than that sequence, which is found in Luke 10, there's another interesting sequence of um, events. Do you remember? Right before Jesus sent out his 70 disciples, he had talked to his father in prayer. This was back up in, um, what verse? 20, 21. And 22, he had talked to his father about the wise and prudent, those uh, to whom the, the, uh, the truths of God are hidden. He talked about the wise and prudent versus who? Spiritual babes. Babes. And babes are those whose humility and teachableness is such that they are open to hear spiritual truths, as opposed to the wise and prudent who have closed ears. He had talked to his father about that. Well, we have a perfect example in the next scene, which we looked at last time, of one who was wise and prudent in his own eyes. A certain lawyer, remember in verse 25, was it? A certain lawyer who was pretentiously sitting at the feet of Jesus as though to learn from him, suddenly stood up in order to tempt him and to really show himself to be superior in knowledge of spiritual matters than Jesus, you know, to be superior to Jesus in what he knew. 
So, but now we come to a perfect example of a spiritual babe, as Jesus had talked about. One who truly sat at his feet in order to learn and to worship. One who was genuinely hungry and teachable regarding spiritual truth. One, of course, who the world and, and uh, who Jewish society would not by any means esteem as being wise and prudent, but who certainly was considered wise and prudent in the eyes of the only one who matters, God. And who was that one? Mary, Mary of Bethany. And by the way, I hope as we look at this lesson that you really appreciate what Jesus has done for, for women. Really. He, he, he um, esteemed women and gave us so much more than we would have had without him if he had never come to this earth. He defended women against the popular notion at that time that women did not need to learn. You know, women weren't allowed to go on to the higher schools of learning back then. And they, their place was totally in the kitchen. And yet he, he encouraged and defended Mary sitting there at his feet with the other disciples. So he really enhanced the importance of the contribution of women disciples. Are you not glad for that? I am because I just don't know where my life would be or what my life would be if I wasn't able to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. I love this book, and I know you do too. That's why you're here. And I'm so glad that Jesus defended our rights. I don't like to talk about rights, but to be learners along with the men, to be disciples of his. Well, more than any other individual in the Bible, Mary is associated with the feet of Jesus. You all know that. And this position, of course, speaks of her humility and her hunger. And, of course, it also speaks of her reverence. Now, in today's lesson, we're going to see her sitting at the Lord's feet as a student, a disciple, a learner. In John 11:32, we are going to see her fall before Jesus' feet in both worship and in grief because her brother Lazarus had just died four days earlier and then the Lord arrived and she falls at his feet and she's crying well then over in John 12 we're going to find her at his feet doing what she could to display her love for him and her gratitude to him for having raised her brother Lazarus back from the dead and how did she do that by anointing him with that very expensive perfume which uh, she understood was for his burial you see having sat at the feet of Jesus gave Mary more discernment and more sensitivity I believe than any of his 12 apostles Mary understood more than they ever picked up because she sat at his feet and she really listened she understood that he was going to die I'm sure I mean I'm sure she heard that from his lips just like his own 12 had heard it that he must indeed suffer many things at the hand of the chief priests that he must be crucified you know and that he would raise from the dead on the third day she listened she got it we know that she got it because she was anointing him for his burial and he commended her for that and do you know what out of all the Marys there's six Marys in the script in the New Testament out of all of those that we find at the foot of the cross or at the tomb do you know which Mary is not at either location 
Mary of Bethany. You don't find Mary of Bethany anywhere near the foot of the cross, and you don't find her at the tomb. Why is that, ladies? She knew. You'll find her in the upper room, I guarantee you. She's in the upper room waiting for his appearance because she understood. You see, you get a lot of spiritual discernment when you sit at the feet of Jesus. You understand a lot, don't you? A lot more than sometimes you can even explain to the people out there. But you know it in your heart. You wish you could share it with them. But it's interesting that also in her three times at Jesus' feet, we have a threefold picture of the Lord's ministry as prophet, priest, and king. The first time she's at his feet, it's in the role, his role as prophet. She's listening to his words. You listen to the words of a prophet. Second time she falls at his feet, it's in his role as high priest, his sympathetic high priest. She's there crying before him because of her brother's death. The third time she's anointing him in honor of his position, his role as king. So prophet, priest, and king. We also have different aromas associated with every time we see Mary. The first time we see Mary, there's the aroma of Martha's bread cooking in the kitchen. Second time we see Mary, there's, and that's the smell of life. Second time is at Lazarus's tomb, and Martha says, Oh, you don't want to roll away the stone because he stinketh. So second time we see Mary, there's the smell of death. Third time we see Mary, there's the smell of worship. After she broke open the alabaster uh, box and there's that beautiful aroma of the spikenard perfume. Interesting things, isn't there? Well, let's look at the, the five verses that close up Luke chapter 10. And again, now Luke is the only one who had recorded this particular event for us. So I'm glad he put it, that he was inspired to put it in the scripture. We're going to look at three outline divisions. We're going to look at the setting, the situation, and the solution. But what I'm going to do is just read the whole text. It's only five verses, and then we'll talk about all of it. All right. It says in verse 38, now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word but Martha but Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said Lord dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone bid her therefore that she help me And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. All right, there are several factors that we learn about the setting from the, of this particular scene that are not found in this scripture right here, but that we learn from other scripture texts and also from extra biblical material. One thing we learn is that the certain village of verse 38 was Bethany. Now, we don't read that here, but we find out that it was the home of Martha and Mary when we flip over to John 11.1. 1. And Bethany was only two miles from Jerusalem to the southeast. Bethany was located, very interestingly, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Interesting, because we just looked at the story of the Good Samaritan, which took place on that very road. 
Also, Bethany was located just over the Mount of Olives. Now, today, I have been to Bethany. Have any of you been to Bethany? They have shown me what they say is traditionally the ruins of Martha's house. I don't know if they really were, but it was interesting anyway. But Bethany today is an, uh, called El Azareya, which is an Arabic word for the place of Lazarus. So, of course, they still remember that this is where Lazarus was raised by Jesus after having been four days dead. Furthermore, this is interesting, if any people of any village could have seen the Lord's ascension into heaven, you know, he ascended into heaven from where? The Mount of Olives. If any people could have looked out their windows and seen him ascend up into heaven, it would have been the people of nearby Bethany. And I'm not making that up. You can read about it in Luke 24, verses 50 and 51. It says, Jesus led his disciples out until they were over against Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So the people of Bethany were a very privileged people, weren't they? Not only did they witness the amazing miracle of Lazarus coming out of his tomb after being four days dead, wrapped up in his grave clothes, which must have been a sight, but then to be able to look up and see Jesus ascend into heaven. Wow, just cannot imagine that. Well, not only was Bethany the place of Martha's house, and I say that the house belonged to Martha because the scripture says in verse 38, Martha received him into what? her house it wasn't only the place of Martha's house but it was also the uh, the home of Mary her sister and Lazarus their brother who obviously lived with their older sister Martha in her house I don't know what happened maybe the parents died and Martha being the oldest her maybe what yeah, we'll talk about that too. Possibility that she maybe was a widow. People say that. And that it was her house and she took in her younger brother and sister. I don't know. But uh, Lazarus, we would not know that they had a younger brother named Lazarus from just this little account here, would we? There's no mention of Lazarus. We wouldn't know about Lazarus if it wasn't for John chapter 11. That is where we are told that they had this uh, probably younger brother named Lazarus. Bethany was also the home of Simon the leper who had a feast for Jesus over in Mark 14. Now, obviously, and he had the feast for Jesus after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It was a celebration feast. It was a thank you feast. And obviously, I don't think anybody would have come to the feast if Simon was still a leper. So we have to say Simon, the former leper. I am sure Simon, somewhere along the way, when he was a leper, had met Jesus and Jesus had healed him of his leprosy. So the feast was also in gratitude for what the Lord had done for Simon. Now, the Luke 10 incident was very obviously not the first time that Jesus had stayed in this particular home in Bethany. Um, and now, 
and with these three siblings. And it's also obvious that these three siblings, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, had all come to faith in him. We don't know where or when, but somewhere along the line, they had all come to faith in him. And so their home, which I'm going to say their home, was always uh, readily welcomed to him. He, they always wanted him to come and stay in their home. He had likely stayed here on previous trips to Jerusalem, and it may very well seems to have been his base home while his 70 disciples were out doing their ministry in the Transjordan area. He probably stayed at Martha's house in Bethany. And from the comfort and the ease with which the members of this family interrelate with the Lord, it's obviously, again, obvious that he had been with them before. There's a freedom in the way they talk to him and treat him. There's a freedom in the way that um, he was treated by Mary, who sat, sat there very comfortably at his feet. And there's definitely a freedom in the way that Martha talked to him in the manner that she did. I thought it was interesting that his headquarters for his Galilean ministry, you know, up in the north, his headquarters had been in Peter's house in Capernaum, while the the headquarter base for his Judean ministry in the south of Israel was Martha's house in Bethany. And the reason I thought that was interesting is because I equate Martha with Peter. If ever there was a female Peter, her name was Martha. (laughs) They would have made a good pair. Only problem is I can't put them together because Peter was already married. So... But Peter and Martha definitely had a lot in common. They were both impetuous. They both had this really bad disease called foot-in-mouth disease. Any of you have that disease? I know I do. They were both action-oriented people. They were both leaders. Definitely they were both leaders. They were both loving. That's why you can't help but love them. They were loving people. Yes, they made a lot of blunders, but... You loved them anyway, didn't you? They were hospitable, obviously. They were kind of uh, critical of others. You know, they were kind of judgmental. I think they were both perfectionists. We know, remember Peter said, Oh Lord, even though the rest of the guys might run away, I never will from you. Mm -hmm. Right? So, you know, they're critical. And they were even very bossy, as we see Martha here. Bossy and and Peter was bossy. You know, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Never, never. Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. But they, they, they still were loving people, and we do indeed love them because they remind us so much of ourselves. <laughs> now, of course, it takes food and it takes other supplies, which take money to entertain people in your home. Probably the Lord's 12 disciples were with him here in Luke 10 as well. And uh, if you take his 12 disciples and him and then the three members of this family, and I don't, I, I imagine they probably invited Simon the leper over for this meal as well. That makes at least how many? <laughs> She's not even going to go there with the math. Probably at least least 17, 18 people for Martha to feed. 
But, and that's a lot of people to have for a meal, but the owner and the host of this home, Martha, was perfectly willing and she was perfectly ready to make all of the necessary sacrifices and pay the cost of hospitality. This would have been one of those kinds of homes that the 70 were told they should stay in as they went into various villages and cities throughout Perea. We read about that back in verses 6 and 7. If they went to Bethany, for example... Martha's house would have been a perfect house for them to stay in. Also, we need to remember that at this point in the Lord's ministry, friends of his were not viewed very favorably by the religious establishment. We have already learned that the Jews were out to get him. They were already plotting how they would murder him. And Bethany is only two short miles from Jerusalem. So this was a dangerous thing to show friendship to Jesus at this point in time. But this family nonetheless did not hesitate to open its doors to him in spite of the peril to themselves. Now I want to take a little deeper look into the character, personalities and the temperaments of these two women in this episode. Now these women are always, they're kind of like bread and butter. They're always thought of together, aren't they? I'm going to do a little quiz here and I'm going to give you some other names that we always you know, put together in the scripture. And a lot of these, amazingly, are brothers and sisters. A few of them are husbands and wives. But I'm going to say one name and you say the other, all right? Adam and Eve. Very good. Cain and Jacob and uh, Rachel and Leah. Took you a minute, all right. James and uh, Aquila and Martha and You see? It worked. Now, since Martha is always mentioned first and is decidedly the elder sister, and because the house belonged to her, we're going to start with Martha, all right? Martha, the working server for God. Now, some people think that because Martha owned the house in which she obviously lived with her sister and her brother, that she was, as Catherine said, a widow. And uh, so some, some people believe that that is pure speculation because we do not know. There is no mention in the scripture that any of the members of this family were married. Uh, nor is there any mention of how old they may have been. Now, I thought it was interesting when I was reading Dr. John MacArthur's, well, actually, it's his book on 12 Extraordinary Women. And I was reading that, and he made the comment, which I never had thought about, but that since Mary was literally sitting at the feet of Jesus every time we see her, it would be hard to imagine her, and therefore her sister and brother, as being very old. Do you get that? You know? (laughs) Might have been easy for her to get down there, but it might not have been so easy for her to get up. That's sort of a position you picture younger people. Furthermore, he says, the starkly contrasting temperaments of Martha and Mary seem unmellowed by much age. You know, if there's one thing I hope we learn as we get older, it's not quite to fuss so much with our brothers and sisters. You know, we hope that that happens. But the fussing and, the, the you know, what we see here in this situation is a little bit more of something you'd see among younger people. Now, I'm inclined to think that these three brothers and sisters, two sisters, one brother, are still very young and inexperienced. And how old was Jesus at this time? 
It's about 32 or 33. He's in his early 30s. And yet, in his interaction with them, he's really treating them in much the same way as an elder brother would treat them. And uh, many of the principles that he teaches them were profoundly practical lessons for younger people, you know, younger people coming of age. Do you think the Lord Jesus had a lot of experience in this area of being a peacemaker between siblings? Do you think (laughs) that growing up as the elder brother of a family that had at least four younger half-brothers and at least two younger half-sisters, he had not stopped many fights? In much the manner, he probably stopped this particular fight. Can't you just picture him doing that with his younger brothers and sisters when they're fighting and he would come in between and say, now... Joseph, Joseph, Jr., <laughs> or what, Mary, Jr., Mary, Mary, or whatever his brothers, his sisters were named. We don't know the names of his sisters, but he had a lot of practice in being a peacemaker. And he had this practice with his own disciples as well, didn't he? Because they, too, were always fussing and feuding. Well, Martha had a highly commendable character, and I don't want us to forget that as we discuss what she did wrong in this episode. Wouldn't you hate it if people always remembered the one thing you did wrong? <laughs> which unfortunately is what we tend to do but she had a commendable character so let's keep that foremost in our minds she was a godly woman she had first received Jesus into her heart and then willingly always opened up her home to him as a matter of fact over in John eleven five, it says Jesus loved Martha and therefore it's important for us to see the strong points of her character so that for one thing we might learn how it is true that even a strong person can fall isn't that so Peter was a strong person and yet he blundered many times but the Lord was able to take those blunders and turn them into blessings he was able to do that with Martha as well and we want to always try to learn from our own mistakes don't we Do you not want to learn from your mistakes? I do so that I don't have to have some kind of a Jonah experience. I want to learn from my mistakes. And the Lord also gives us examples in scripture so that we will learn from their mistakes. Now, we've already discussed the fact that Martha was a giving person. Taking care of so many guests had to have been expensive, and yet she was willing to do so. We've also mentioned that she was a courageous person because it was highly dangerous to associate uh, too closely with Jesus. As a matter of fact, you know, after her brother Lazarus, was raised from the dead the religious establishment determined that not only would they get Jesus and kill him but who else were they going to kill if they could get their hands on him Lazarus isn't that amazing they knew he had been raised from the dead but they wanted to close his mouth so he couldn't go around telling people about it. so they really they were going to plan to kill Lazarus as well so she was courageous. She was also caring and loving. She did not. She did take care of her siblings, and we know how much she loved Lazarus, who was probably the younger only brother, some commentators say. Now, I know you always, because of picture books, you always picture Lazarus as being a man, you know, maybe even an older man. But it, think about this. He could have even been a teenager. He could have been a teenager who died young, you know, and, and there was even more weeping because of the fact that he was young. We never hear a word from Lazarus. Do you know that? He never says one word, never one recorded word from his mouth. Um, but we know that, that uh, Martha loved her younger brother, Lazarus. But it's interesting, we only have mention of Mary's tears. 
The two sisters, you see, were different in their temperaments, and they had different ways of showing their grief. Have you ever noticed that with people? People have different ways of showing grief. Some people get real busy during a time of grief. Grief. My mother was like that when my grandmother was was laying dying in her home and they didn't say she had but a few days to live and my mother just couldn't sit still. This was her mother, but she she couldn't sit still there by my my grandmother and and uh, she'd go over and check on her but she had to be busy doing something. So she cleaned my grandmother's house from top to bottom. I don't think my grandmother cared one bit at that point if her house was clean, but my mother was had to do something and I can just picture Martha being like that. Martha would have been and going around greeting all the the guests as they came to the house to give you know give their sympathy, uh, she would have probably made sure that everybody had a drink in their hand and an hors d'oeuvre in their other hand. She was the one when she heard that Jesus had finally arrived four days late, ran out to greet him, and she's the one who took him out to the tomb. Um, so she was an active person. That's how she showed her grief. No mention of her tears. On the other hand, all we hear about with Mary is that she's sitting there weeping. We have, I think, three mentions in John chapter 11, three or four mentions of Mary's tears. She sat there and she wept, and the people that came sat there and wept with her. So they had different ways of dealing with things. Also, Martha was uh, very hospitable. She was very conscientious. She was a very considerable hostess. She even did the serving when um, when Simon, the former leper, held a banquet at his house for Jesus. Martha was the one doing the serving. And that's why some people have said maybe she was married to Simon, the leper. Although I doubt that could be but I doubt that because she had a house and he had the banquet at his house so it seems like if they were married they would have been together in the same house um she was what we could call a workaholic now can any of you identify with being workaholics she was a little busy bee she was a a worker bee she was uh, very fastidious she was probably a perfectionist and oh it is not very much fun to be a perfectionist How many of you did not leave the house this morning until every bed was made and every dish was washed and you're you're going to go home to a spick and span house? How many did? You left your house with your beds made and your dishes washed. Come on, be honest. Sylvia, I know you. Yeah. (laughs) I know some of you. You didn't? (laughs) You didn't think about it, but you didn't have to. But she was the kind of woman, I know, my, my da- I drive my daughters crazy because when I, when I go to their house, I can't help it. I just can't help it. And I wouldn't do this. I promise I wouldn't do this if I come to your house. But when I go to their house, I, I'm running my finger along the picture frames. You know, Isn't that terrible? I just, it's just like, ugh, I guess I got that from my mother. <laughs> I have to watch it. But she's the kind of woman who always had to have a spick and span house. She had to have clean bed sheets on the beds. She had to have fresh towels in the bathroom. She had to have delicious and plentiful food for her guests. She was probably very, very meticulous. We'd all enjoy going to Martha's house. I have been to Martha's houses for lunches, and I love it. It's wonderful. Uh, but she was meticulous about her household duties and she took them very seriously as we'll see. All right, so much said 
said about Martha, and none of that is bad. I'm not saying one word. It's good. In my opinion, it is good to have a clean house, but not when it takes precedence over other things, all right? Now, let's look at Mary. Mary also had a very commendable character. She was a loving and humble person. She loved Jesus. She attached herself to him. Her love and her devotion for him ran deep. So deep, in fact, that nothing else mattered to her except being right near him. When he was around, she wanted to be right there at his feet. You see, her humility is, is seen in, the, in her position that she positioned herself at his feet, not standing in front of him, shaking her finger in his face, saying, Lord, tell my sister to get in the kitchen. Mary's at the Lord's feet. She had a spiritual hunger for his word, and she had a readiness to hear his word. She had a desire to surrender and a willingness to do what she could with what she had in order to honor him and to show her gratitude. She was the type of woman who was busier on the inside. She was busier in her mind and in her heart than on the outside. You know who I pair her with as far as the 12 disciples are concerned? John. I put Mary and Peter, two of a kind, two peas in a pod, and, and Mary and John together. Both of them very loving, very sensitive kinds of people. You know, when... Martha and Peter, thank you, and Mary and John. John, you know, when he went, ran into the tomb and saw the way the clothes, grave clothes were lying, he instantly knew. He had the more discerning spirit. Peter, you know, <laughs> took him a while. <laughs> so I would put Mary and John together. Well, anyway, yeah, I would be a matchmaker because now John wasn't married. <laughs> She was, at this point, Mary was uh, more openly sensitive than the uh, of the two sisters. And as I said, she, her weeping is seen three times in John chapter 11. And I like, this is what I really like about, besides the fact that she's always sitting at the feet of Jesus, I like the fact that Mary never tried to defend herself when she was accused by others. That is a really good character quality. Something that those Marthas of us need to learn, you know. Be quiet when uh, she she sat silently whenever somebody accused her of something because she understood that the Lord knew her heart and the Lord knew her motive for what she was doing. For example, the Lord knew why she was sitting at his feet, learning from him instead of being in the kitchen helping her older sister. The Lord knew why she was anointing him with her expensive perfume even though others criticized her for, for that, for both of those situations. And in remaining silent, she really speaks volumes to us. We, we don't need to jump to our own defense when we are criticized. We don't need to jump to our own defense when people do not judge us rightly or criticize us because of our devotion to Christ. It's amazing. Her criticism was coming from other believers, and sometimes that happens with us, doesn't it? They don't know our hearts. We just need to remember that the Lord is our defender, our defense. He is our shield. The Lord will be our comfort. And he did. He defended Mary. And he did so with those two great accolades that I mentioned at the beginning of our lesson. 
Just think about this. If Mary had jumped to her own defense and had lashed out at her sister when her sister came in the room and said, Lord, why don't you tell my lazy sister to get her tail back in the kitchen? And if Mary had said, Martha, will you just hush up and leave me alone? You're such a nag. You're such a perfectionist. You just drive me crazy, bonkers. If she had said that, or if she had yelled back at Judas Iscariot something, um, we would never, and she would never, have heard those wonderful words that the Lord had to say about her in her defense. And, you know, that those words and her great testimony have been read literally by millions and millions of people down through the ages. Have We're reading about them today. None of that would have been there about her um, because her testimony would have been tainted if she had not just kept her mouth shut. So let's remember that. In fact, speaking of her quiet spirit, it's interesting to find that even though she's mentioned three times in the scriptures, we only hear her speak once. And the one time she did open her mouth, she should have kept it closed. Because the one time she opened her mouth, she was parroting her older sister. She was saying what her older sister had said. Her older sister Martha had run out to greet Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, of course, that's exactly what Mary said because she'd heard Martha saying it for four days. And so as soon as she runs out, that's the only thing we have recorded of Mary speaking. So it's probably a better thing that Mary did keep her mouth shut. (laughs) Every other time we read of her, she is silent. She was a quiet person. Now, although these two sisters are often contrasted, Martha being the worker or the server for the Lord, while Mary is seen as the worshiper or the student of the Lord, this does not mean that the Lord desires for you and I to be either one or the other of these two. It's not saying we should be a Martha and not a Mary or a Mary and not a Martha. Our personalities are all different, aren't they? We have different personalities. We have different spiritual gifts. We have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, We have different talents. We have different backgrounds. We have different educational levels. We're all different in many, many ways. Different ages. I can't say we're different sex because we're all women here. But we have a lot of differences. And each of us are to do with what we have We're to do all we can with what we have, all we can do for the Lord with what we have. And we are to do it to the best of our ability, right? With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are each to do what we can with what we have. That's why it's a good epitaph. She hath done what she could. Now, these sisters, therefore, do not represent an either-or situation. Balance is the whole key to discipleship. Balance, I always say, is the whole key to life. It's the whole key to Christianity. The ideal would be to imitate Mary in our worship and Martha in our work. There's a little poem that goes like this. I have it in your book. As the days unfold before me, may this ever be my part to serve with Martha's busy hands and love with Mary's heart. But having said all that, having said that it needs to be a balance, we need to be a Martha and a Mary, from the rest of this account, 
there has to still be a priority. Within that balance, there has to be a priority, okay? And the number one priority is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That one thing is needful before anything else, the Lord says in verse 42. Hands and heart, but first the heart. Martha's behavior in the next scene certainly, we have to admit, did not help her fellowship with either her sister or with the Lord. There's a time to be a worker, and there's an appropriate time to be a worshiper. And in this particular case here, this scene, Mary chose the good part which could not be taken from her. She chose the good part on the day the Lord Jesus Christ was in their home. Now, immediately in verse 40, what are the two words we read? Verse 40. After we just read about sisters sitting at Jesus' feet, what are the next two words? But Martha. Now, that tells us right away that there's going to be a contrast between her and Mary, who was just sitting at Jesus' feet. And by the way, most of the picture books you will see, children's picture books, you will see Mary sitting there all by her little lonesome at Jesus' feet. Those are incorrect pictures. Because it says also in verse 39, it says, And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet. Now that also means that there were other people sitting there at his feet. We know it wasn't Martha, because where was Martha? In the kitchen. The also represents the other the disciples, the 12 disciples, and whoever else was there. Maybe Simon the leper, maybe um, other friends from Bethany. But there were others there besides Mary sitting at his feet. And probably Lazarus was there. But Martha, but Martha, busy, busy bee, perfectionist Martha, was cumbered about with much serving. Now I've called this Martha's cumbrance. I made up a word. If she was cumbered, there has to be a noun to go along with that. So this is Martha's cumbrance. She found herself drawn here and there and everywhere by all the various duties that were related to preparing a meal for a lot of guests. It's a big deal to have about 20 people for dinner, isn't it? It's a lot of work. It really is. You know, do you ever watch those... I don't watch it very much, but I do. I get fascinated when I start watching those Iron Chef cooking competitions. Now, I have never gotten that act together in my kitchen. Of course, I don't have the equipment they have either, but it's just amazing to me all the different things that they have going on at the same time and how they all bring it together within a certain amount of time, not very much time. And they have a beautiful presentation. It looks great, and they always taste delicious. I don't know how they do all that, but that's what Martha was. She could have been in the Iron Chef cooking contest because she had a pot of lentils, pot of lentils stewing over here. She probably had a lamb roast in the oven over there. She had a cold salad she was preparing along with everything else. Had to have some tasty hors d'oeuvres. She had dinner rolls. Oh, Catherine, please don't forget to burn the dinner rolls again. Dinner rolls in the oven. She had a dessert to prepare, and she had to do one of those fancy desserts with a zip, 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 frosting on it. You know how they do these designs? And she had to have the dessert ready. 
with a with a, a nice hot cup of after dinner coffee, all laid out, of course, in a way that would make an impress, uh, impressive and a colorful presentation. And of course, don't forget the china, and don't forget the silverware, and make sure it's been polished recently, and the pretty hand embroidered napkins, and make sure they were ironed properly and folded properly, and all of the serving utensils. My fa- my husband always says, "Don't forget the serving utensils, Catherine." And everything has to be ready at exactly the same time so that nothing cold gets warm and nothing hot gets cold. So who said that being a a woman was easy? And then you throw a few children in on all this. (laughs) So Martha's sweating in the hot kitchen. <laughs> Literally, she's sweating. I love this. When I looked up the word cumbered, she was cumbered about. Do you know what it is in the Greek? Perispato. Now, what does that remind you of? <laughs> Perspiration. She was sweating in the kitchen. And then she, she turns around and she looks. Oh, where is Mary? She was there one minute chopping the garlic and now she's gone. And oh my goodness, talk about stewing. <laughs> Martha gets all bent out of, I mean, she just gets all out of kilter when she looks into the next room or out into the courtyard. And where is her younger sister? sitting there leisurely at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach. And she, Martha, got all bent out of shape. I mean, after all, you can almost identify with her, can't you? I have a younger sister, and this happened a lot. I, at Thanksgiving, you know, I, feel, I felt like I was doing, when did, when did the children start having the Thanksgiving and let the, the old lady rest? Well, Thanksgiving, you know, it seemed like I was doing everything, like the Iron Chef. <laughs> and I, finally, one of the kids asked me to bring something, and I said, I just lost it, like Martha. I said, does it say slave here? <laughs> I can hear Martha saying, am I the family slave? Uh, so she was all tied in a knot with her much serving, which she, she might not have encumbered means literally tied in a knot, twisted up. Like uh, she, was, she was cumbered with a cumber bun. You know what a cumber bun is? <laughs> she was all cumbered with a cumber bun. Um, she might not have minded doing all of this work, and I'm sure she loved doing this. This was what she liked doing. But I think she wouldn't have minded if her lazy good-for-nothing sister wasn't in the other room doing nothing. Or at least that's how she judged her sister. You know, isn't that true? Isn't that true that there are so many people in doing the Lord's work today who are also cumbered about with much, their much serving. They are weighed down by their Christian service. So much so that they look out at their brothers and sisters in Christ who they judge to be doing nothing. Sadly, in this day and age, a lot of those brothers and sisters are doing nothing because they say that 10% of the people in any congregation are doing 100% of the work. But um, the tendency is, and when you're cumbered about in the Lord's work, that you can get very critical of your brothers and sisters. And as we see with Martha, we can take out our frustrations on who? The Lord. That's what she did. Kind of like Adam and Eve. You know, Adam blamed the Lord for giving him that wife he gave him. 
And here she's going, Lord, you know, why, why don't you send me more laborers? I'm out here all by myself in the kitchen. You know, this was kind of how uh, Moses felt. Moses had more on him than he could handle. And very wisely, his father-in-law gave him some great advice. He said, Moses, you're doing more than the Lord expects of you. Why don't you learn to delegate? I'm learning to delegate. Well, you know, if he said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if we're burdened down and cumbered about, we're doing more than he's probably asked us to do, or we're not delegating to others. But anyway, she says, Lord, uh, how can you expect me to do all this work alone? Now, what we have to understand is that it is not the service itself that is wrong here, but it can become a snare, as in Martha's situation, and even an evil thing if the service is allowed to crowd out the more important responsibilities such as worshiping and the cultivation of our own spiritual lives. You know, it's so easy to get so involved for the Lord that we don't spend that time with the Lord. Very, very prevalent danger among Christians. Martha became so twisted with anxiety about serving her guests, especially her her very special guest, and serving him perfectly. And wasn't that really a pride issue? I know I used to have this tendency more when I was younger. I'm getting better as I'm getting older. And a good thing when you get older, you lose your eyesight and you can't see all the cobwebs and stuff. But when I was younger, I used to not have anybody over until my house was literally spick and span. And I thought, you know, how dumb it is to, to wash my kitchen floor and vacuum all my carpets and then have 20 people come in. And by the time they leave, every, all the floors are dirty again. Why not wait till they leave and then wash the kitchen floor? <laughs> But she became, and this was all a pride thing with her. You know, she wanted to have the best. She became so distracted with her running here and running there that she quickly grew tired. And when you grow tired, you get angry and frustrated and resentful and judgmental. So much so that she lost sight of her priority. Why had she opened her home to Jesus in the first place, ladies? Was it not to provide for him a place of comfort and a place of rest, a place of peace where he could come and get away from all the criticism of his enemies, his critics? Wasn't it to be a place where for at least a little while he could get away from all the tension of his ministry? But Martha's cumbrance brought an abrupt end to the Lord's time of tranquility, didn't it? You see, both the cares of this world and even the cares of the Christ, of Christian service can become a snare to our souls if we allow them to take up too much time of our time and attention. First Timothy four sixteen says, "Take heed unto thyself." And to thy teaching. We're not going to be any use to anyone who we try to serve, including our own families and including our husbands and the Sunday school classes we might teach or whatever we do. We're not going to be any use to any of them if we don't take heed to ourselves and to our own teaching. If we don't fill up ourselves, there's not going to be nothing spilling over to give to others. So 
that's that's uh, Martha's excessive zeal here for temporal provisions. Even though they were for the Lord Jesus, they caused her to temporarily forget the matter of her own spiritual feeding. Certainly, none of us would deny the fact that a meal was in order. Of course, it was important to feed her guests. It was appropriate. But what we do with Christ is more more of an important priority than what we do for Christ. Although, of course, both are required of believers. But what was more important? Was it more important for Mary to feed Jesus than for Jesus to feed, I mean Martha. Was it more important for Martha to feed Jesus than for Jesus to feed Martha? No. It was much more important for Jesus to feed Martha. You know, Martha could have just given Jesus her few dinner rolls and said, would you please multiply them into a meal for all of us? I might have been tempted to do that. Uh, but she could have made she could have made it easier on herself. This is another thing I've learned. Make it easy on yourself when you have company, so that when the company gets there, you're not all bent out of shape and you can't even appreciate them because you're running here and running there and trying to get everything ready at the same time. Make yourself a casserole. Casseroles are great. Have it all ready ahead of time so that you can actually enjoy your company and you can sit there and talk with them. All right. Um, so you see. Mary's promptness, Mary's promptness to hear Jesus' teaching tells us, shows us that she had a good and right stewardship of her opportunities. The Lord would not be visiting their home for like this for very much longer. He's only like five or six months away from his crucifixion. It would have been a tremendous loss of opportunity for Mary to have missed sitting at the Lord's feet while she could. What would you do if Jesus knocked on your door? Would you would you run into the kitchen and prepare him something to eat or would you immediately want to hear what he had to teach you? Wouldn't that have been a lost opportunity for Mary if she hadn't learned from him while she could? Uh, I remember what the Lord had said to his 70 disciples before he sent them out on their mission trip. He said how many prophets and kings would have loved to have seen and heard what they were so privileged to see and hear. Martha was giving up a, a, a wonderful opportunity. She should have made that casserole ahead of time, put dinner on hold, and then joined her sister in there and listened to what Jesus had to say. Well, being the kind of person who always speaks before she thinks, you know, and just says what's on her mind, and that's not always a good thing to say what's on your mind. Martha forgot her manners, and she interrupted the Lord while he was still teaching. She, she goes in there and she said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? In her complaint, that we find that she was putting a portion of the blame for her serving stress on the Lord himself. She was blaming him, in essence. And she was in very bad company when you think about her interrupting the Lord's teaching because isn't that what the Pharisees often did? Remember how they thrust their way through the crowds in order to, to interrupt him and bring before him a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery and who had just interrupted him in our last week's lesson by standing up and tempting him. 
a lawyer. So she's in bad company here when she interrupted. And she's also in bad company and certainly forgetting her manners when she said, you know, Lord, don't you care? That's terrible. That's essentially what she said when she ran out to him when he came to, finally came to uh, the, the Lazarus, the tomb. You know, Lord, if you had cared, you would have been here. So she's saying that here. If you, if you cared, you wouldn't let me be out there laboring all by myself. But you see, it wasn't that the Lord didn't care. Of course he cared. In fact, we see him put himself into the position of his own arrest and death when later on he does come back to Bethany for on the behalf of Martha and Mary to raise their brother. It wasn't for Lazarus' sake. Trust me, Lazarus was better off where he was. <laughs> and he had to die all over again. It was because of his love for Martha and Mary that he raised Lazarus from the death. But in doing so, he really put himself in the position where they then came and arrested him and he died. He cared so much that he would in fact die for them so that they could all be resurrected permanently. Actually, we could say it was Martha who didn't care enough to put her dinner on hold, at least for a while, and join the rest of the disciples to hear Jesus teach. We could say that it was Martha who didn't care to provide a place of peace and comfort and rest for the Lord, and instead was the one who brought division and discomfort into this situation. It was Martha who did not care how she was humiliating her sister in front of all the of their guests. And it's interesting that just as Peter had done when he had rebuked the Lord Jesus on several occasions but still called him Lord. For example, when the Lord said that he must suffer many things and die and, and Peter said, Lord, this will never be. And when the Lord was going to wash his feet and he said, Lord, you'll never... Wash my feet. He's calling him Lord, but then he's telling him what to do. Mary does the same thing. She calls Jesus Lord, and yet she not only accuses him of not caring about the inequality of the situation, but then she does something even more foolish when she gives him a command. She literally gives the Lord a command here. She says, bid her, bid Mary, therefore that she help me. If you really cared for me, Lord, you would tell that irresponsible sister of mine to get her, get off her tail and to get here in the kitchen and give me a hand. Tell her to help me, Lord. Who, who did Martha think she was? Did she think she was the master over her own sister and over the, the Lord? That's the way she's behaving. And in this behavior from a godly woman, we see how easy it is for Christians to get our eyes off of spiritual matters when distracted by physical things, right? We've all had this problem. Martha's cumbrance over her meal efforts caused her to get critical and sharp-tongued toward both Jesus and her sister. And this re- revealed a defect. There was a defect in her servant's heart. She really shows us how subtly human pride can corrupt even the best of our actions. She had allowed something other than Christ to be the focus of her heart. And consequently, her perspective became very self-centered. What she was doing now was certainly not a bad thing. It was not a bad thing for her to want to make a wonderful meal for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord would never have criticized her for what she was doing. Did you know that? 
He would never have gone into the kitchen and say, don't go to all this trouble for me and this is wrong, you shouldn't be doing that. He would never have criticized what she was doing if she had not begun to criticize others for not doing what she was doing. She started it all (laughs) and blaming him for not doing something about it. And don't you know that she thought she was in the right or she wouldn't have gone barging in on this whole scene and had this tongue-lashing episode if she did not think that Jesus was going to speak on her defense and say, Mary, you need to be in the kitchen. So what a shock it must have been for her when, when she was the one, not Mary. She was the one who was rebuked. If you have to go, I guess go. We've, we're out of time, but I want to make sure to finish this. All right, let's um, look at verses 41 to 42. It says, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be, which shall not be taken away from her. Did you know that nobody counsels better than Jesus Christ? Nobody. You can't go to a better counselor. You don't need to waste your money going to a counselor. Just go to the feet of Jesus Christ. He is the best counselor there is. One thing we notice here in his words to Martha is how gentle he is with her. And, of course, how he manages to say so much in so few words. Isn't that just incredible? And I hear him, this the way I read it, I hear him saying, Martha, Martha. Probably just the way he said it to some of his own brothers and sisters. I don't hear him saying, Martha, Martha. I hear him with a soft, gentle rebuke. And as I said, he never criticized her for what she was uh, doing and wanting to serve him. Her problem was not some gross form of evil. You know, she was not a wicked woman. He appreciated all that she was trying to do for him, and he knew she wanted to give him her very best. So his rebuke was very gentle. And you can hear that in the double use of her name. Her problem was her priorities and in turning a critical eye toward others because at that time they didn't have the same priorities she had. Now the double use of her name would have stressed to her both the the fact of his affection for her and also the need for her to be attentive to what he was going to say next. Kind of like when he said, verily, verily. If he says something twice, okay, you need to listen, Martha. Martha, Martha, I love you, but you're going to need to listen to this. Did, did you know that Martha is the only woman in the whole Bible to have her name repeated by the Lord Jesus? The only woman in the Bible. But too bad it was for the wrong reason. <laughs> The only other person who during the Lord's earthly ministry heard his name repeated was Peter. Again, it wasn't for a good reason. And again, it was the use of his old name. You know, whenever you hear the Lord use his old name, Simon, it's because Peter's doing something in the old flesh. When he calls him Peter, that's good. When it's Simon, it's bad. All right. And there was a time when he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Well, here I told you Martha and Peter had a lot in common. 
Here Martha, here with Martha, Jesus was giving a warning to someone he loved very, very much. Someone like Peter, someone who was outspoken and impulsive, but who was a great person to get things done. A leader. You know, he could take this woman and he could uh, mold her and make her into someone he can really use. And I think he does. All right, after what I think is a tenderly spoken use of her name, uh, the Lord then described her problem via two words. He said she was careful and troubled. And careful, do you all know, in the King James means she was anxious. She was fretful. She was worried. She was troubled. Troubled means she was disquieted. She was disturbed about many things. You see, one thing led to another, and pretty soon she not just was cumbered about by much serving, but she was troubled and anxious and worried about many things, one of them being my sister is in there, and she's, you know, she's just getting herself all, all distracted over all kinds of things that, that caused her to go from doing a good work of service to sinning against both the Lord and her sister. When really only one thing was needful. She was complaining that her load was too heavy and it was too burdensome for her to carry alone. But as I said, Jesus says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So this is a clear indication on her part that she's just doing things in the flesh. And she's running ahead of God and she's trying to do too much. More than is required of her when she's one thing would have been needful. And there's a play on words there. Some commentators say that he was saying one dish was needful. And there you go to the casserole. All she had to prepare was one dish <laughs> instead of all these other things she was trying to throw together. And it probably, you know, was a matter of pride. She was trying to show how competent she was and what a great chef she was and how beautiful of a banquet she could prepare for so many people. But all of her good intentions were spoiled. Not one of us today knows anything about what Martha served. We don't know what was on her menu. I just made up the lentils and the roast of lamb. We have no idea what she served that day. We don't know how tasty it was. We don't know how beautiful the presentation was. We don't know what the china looked like. All we know is that she disturbed the tranquility of her own Bethany home with all her fussing and her fuming and her fretting. Whenever you and I are complaining and murmuring and criticizing and feeling pity for ourselves because of our workload, even our workload for the Lord, we had better do a quick examination of our lives. Perhaps in all of our busyness for the Lord, and and it's a busy life working for the Lord, is it not? I mean, we're trying to raise godly children in the nurture and admission of the, of the Lord. We're trying to raise godly grandchildren. We're trying to be a godly wife. We're trying to be submissive to our husbands, which in itself is a real workload. We're trying to... <laughs> Frank is going to... We're trying to maintain a godly home uh, atmosphere. We're trying to serve at church, right? We may be involved in all kinds of different ministries at church. We may be involved in extra church ministries such as Gideon's. We may be taking food to people and going to weddings and going to funerals, da-da-da. I mean, there's so much to do. Uh, and, And in all that, the danger is that we could be leaving the Lord himself out. You found this to be true? Ooh, it's a real danger. It can be a it, it can be a real danger, and I know I have to fight this all the time. 
Well, not, it's not wrong to have a clean house. It's not wrong to have a neat house. It's not wrong to be a good cook. It's not wrong to serve lovely meals, and I'm glad some of you do. But if doing such things causes us to be absolutely miserable to live with, then something is wrong. That's why my husband went out and got Kentucky Fried Chicken last night. (laughs) I'm working day and night on trying to get your Life of Christ five books ready because we only have three lessons to go, and those books have got to be ready, and... I've got a lot to do yet. But anyway, so he's so sweet. But if doing us things, doing these things causes us to blame God for our workload and to be critical of others, then something is definitely wrong, right? We need to be doing that one needful and good thing that can never be taken away from us. And what is that, ladies? What you're doing here this morning, sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning of him, learning from him, spending time with him. We need to spend time with him one-on-one, communion in prayer, reading his word, knowing more about him, so that then we are of some good out there in the world as his his light and his servants. All right, well, the last thing I want to do is leave Martha in a bad light because she truly was a godly woman. And I do believe, like Peter, that her blunders were turned to blessings. Uh, I don't think she learned that lesson until after she saw her brother Lazarus come out of the tomb. And when she saw that, everything was turned upside down for Martha. You know, the next time after that we see her, she is serving a banquet at Simon the leper's house for some 20 people, probably maybe even more. And we never hear one word of complaint from her mouth in all of that serving. But something even more exciting, I want you to turn real quickly to the second epistle of John. Second epistle of John. It comes right after the first epistle to John. Right before the third epistle to John. (laughs) It's right before, and Jude and Revelation. So it's right near the very end of your Bible. Now the second epistle of John, I don't know if you knew this, it is the only book in the Bible that is addressed to a woman. It's addressed, if you look at verse 1, Uh, the elder. It's written by the elder unto the elect lady and her children. Now the elder is a name for John. John at this point in time was older. This is the same John, John the Apostle. And he was known as John the Elder. So it's John writing to the elect lady and her church, uh, children, excuse me. And John says uh, in verse 1 that he knew this woman and her children. He says, I love, I love them in the truth. I love her in the truth. Not only I, but all they that have known the truth. And um, this elect lady is said to have an elect sister. If you look at verse 13, it's a very short epistle, only 13 verses. At the very end, it says that she uh, has a sister who is greeting her. The sister also has children who send their greetings. And this elect lady, we are told in verse 10, she's told, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, speaking of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. We also read in verse 5 where he says, And now I beseech thee, lady, uses the word lady again as he did up in verse 1, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we 
had from the beginning. John and this elect lady knew each other for a long time. We knew this from the beginning. This lady, like John, was around since the beginning. That is repeated sort of in verse 6. And this is the love that we walk after his commandment. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk with it. As I said, this is the only book in the Bible written to a woman, to one of God's elect, one of his called out ones, one whom the apostle John said he loved and whom many loved. He loved her because of her Christian, that her Christian life exemplified the truth. He loved her because she loved Christ. He loved her because she was a hospitable woman who had a home. It was her home, which she opened to receive those who spread the gospel. And um, she had had a sister, an elect sister, and because of all these things, I am inclined to believe, and I'm not alone on this, but I am inclined to believe that there is a very good chance that this very special elect woman was the one and same special woman who alone of all biblical females had her name repeated twice by Jesus Christ. I believe this here because the text refers to her sister, it refers to her home, it refers to her hospitality, it refers refers to her love, it refers to the fact that she was around since the beginning, Um, and I believe this because the word lady, which is used in verse 1 and again in verse 5, is kiria, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew word for Martha. Martha in Hebrew means mistress or lady, kiria. So, if that's true, if that's true, uh, and even if it isn't true, I believe that Martha learned a whole lot on the day that day in her Bethany home <laughs> when she had to be rebuked by the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, in closing, I think it could be, I, I like to be a matchmaker, this may not be true at all, but when John sends a greeting from her elect sister, And the children of her elect sister, could it not be that maybe John did marry Mary and they had children? (laughs) Oh, Catherine, Catherine. (laughs) And they had children. Now, that could be speaking of their spiritual children. (laughs) I don't know. All right. Thank you. I know I kept you over. I'm sorry. Let's, Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time spent in your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the conviction, the challenge, the reliability of your word. Thank you that your word does not return void unto you. Thank you for our teacher, the Holy Spirit, and what he is able to accomplish with your word in each and every one of our lives. And Father, I would just pray that on the heels of this lesson um, that we ask as the days unfold before us, May this ever be our part to serve with Martha's busy hands and love with Mary's heart. Lord, we pray, Jesus, in your blessed name. Amen.